how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. It's just so much more enjoyable to be able to interact, right? There's not as much value to passive live consumption. If you're watching something live and you're able to interact and create connections in the super chat or whatever it is, or feel the suspense of answering a question and seeing if you got it right or wrong, like HQ Trivia, that's where the value is for the, the audience. Welcome to another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast. Today, we're talking about the future of live entertainment. Back in 2012, when Colin and I first started working together, we did a ton of live streaming, did it all through YouTube. Today, live has completely changed. Anyone with a cell phone can go live basically at any time, whether that be on Instagram Live, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch. Going live has never been easier than it is today. We've also seen a lot of new forms of live entertainment, specifically HQ Trivia. And we talk a lot about HQ Trivia on this podcast. It's something that fascinates us. In this episode, we break down our thoughts on the future of live entertainment. We talk about what it means for creators. We talk about different monetization avenues. We talk about one of the most anticipated YouTube sporting events, which is the Logan Paul versus KSI fight. And we get into the importance of interactivity within a live broadcast or a live stream. One quick note on this episode, we actually recorded this a couple weeks ago. So we're talking about a YouTube video that we are currently working on. That YouTube video is actually already out. If you go to our channel, youtube.com slash Colin and Samir, and just search for a video called A Crash Course in Twitch. All right, with that said, enjoy our conversation on the future of live entertainment. Yesterday, we sat here in our office and we played HQ Trivia. HQ Trivia, if you don't know what it is, it's a live mobile game where you could win money. It's basically who wants to be a millionaire, right? But yes. you're not going for a million dollars. The amount changes and everyone can play right on their phone. Yesterday's game was $250,000 on the line. And there was 12 questions or 20 questions. I think 12 questions, and it was sponsored by a new movie that's coming out, Ready Player One. So they upped the amount. So it was $250,000 now that you could win. We got out, I think, on question seven. It was really hard trivia. We have yet to win any money on HQ Trivia. No money has ever been won on HQ Trivia, but the reason I bring it up is because there was 2.3 million people watching and playing all together. All at once. And this is a regular thing that happens two times a day where we see numbers at these levels. We had heard a lot about HQ Trivia and had seen a lot of people playing it. And once we started playing it, we totally got why it's become such like a craze and there's so much hype around it. It's a incredibly addictive experience. It's live, so you have to do it. There's like a push notification that comes to your phone. And it just got us thinking about live entertainment in general and where live entertainment is going. So when we first started, we started in sports entertainment and we started with live broadcasting, essentially sports on YouTube and live at that time, like 
it was fairly minimal, right? I mean, gaming was live. Gaming was live, but I did not know too much about it back then. And this is 2012. There were a few other sports channels on YouTube going live, but it was not common by any means. I think live streaming on the internet in general at that time was kind of new. And, and it was a total process. And it definitely wasn't social, right? Yeah. Like it is today. So at that time, we were live streaming lacrosse games, and there was so much involved to get a game live. Like, you had to build your own computer, essentially, so that it was a, like, operated as an encoder. And then you had to have all this different software. You had to have the right camera, the right cables, the right capture card. And you just couldn't live stream from anywhere. To help us live stream from anywhere, we got this backpack that had all these different cell data signals that basically took a video and transmitted it back to our office, which had like a satellite. Yeah. Try explaining that at Uh, airport security when you've got this huge backpack and they're like, uh, yeah, what is that? And you go, oh yeah, well it's a, it's a mobile live encoder. It combined to the four cell receiver transmissions. And like at that point they're like, no, just go by. Yeah, we used to we used to travel with that thing all around the U.S. to live stream games from anywhere, from like remote locations. And it got stopped the majority of the time. Yeah, and it got stopped all the time. And at that time, we were live streaming on YouTube, and there wasn't too much live streaming. I remember the NBA D League started live streaming after that. But we were actually at one point one of the we were the biggest sports live streaming channel on YouTube. I think that was in 2012 or 2013. We did upwards of 300 live events and, you know, we were doing lacrosse, so it wasn't massive viewership. Like at that time, massive viewership was in gaming. Also live massive viewership was on cable. On TV. There was nothing on the internet that I know of that was coming close to the numbers that you were seeing on primetime television in 2012. And fast forward to today, 2.3 million people from your phones are watching Scott Rogowski live in New York ask you questions. It's interactive. And to put those numbers into context, during the Olympics, Sean White, his gold medal winning run, he had upwards of, I think, 450,000 people watching live concurrently. And compare that to HQ Trivia last night, 2.3 million people live. It's actually like it's it's tough to fully wrap your mind around that, especially thinking back to us doing live and having a lot of conversations with people in 2012 and 2013 about how live was not really something that was going to take to the Internet. It was something that TV always could hold on to because live rights were very expensive. If you were going to carry a sports game, uh, it was really expensive to do that. And no one on the Internet no one thought at that time that no one on the internet could, could actually compete in that space. Well, live rights are still really expensive, specifically for sports. It just so happens that tech companies right now are in the right place to be able to afford these rights. So as Thursday night football goes up and you see YouTube TV coming in and becoming the presenting sponsor uh, for the NBA finals, it's, it's just interesting now to look at the fact that tech companies are the ones who are able to purchase live rights and and bring these games onto the internet. So for people who don't know, why is live entertainment valuable? Why does it matter? Live entertainment is valuable because you have the undivided attention of a group of people for long periods of time. It's very different than 
video on demand where someone can stop it. Someone can be actually be like doing something else, do it like watching other videos. It's just a different type of retention on an audience. When something's live, like you have, you have to sit there to know what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, it's happening. Like there's an urgency to it. It's happening right then and there. Um, you imagine a sports game, like you, you're sitting there and like that sports game is happening while you're sitting on the couch. And so if you wait to watch it, everyone has already seen it. And I remember that, at least for me watching sports, I never wanted to record a sports game because I would hate if people were talking about it or if everyone else you know, knew it. I also remember even just the concept of what I'll call like appointment viewing, like the fact that when I was in high school, you know, we would watch the OC at whatever it was, Wednesday at 8 p.m. And everybody watched it Wednesday at 8 p.m. If you were on AIM or like on, on Instant Messenger, everyone signed off at that time and watched the OC and then everyone came back on. And we mean everyone. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. Did. Everyone was watching the OC. <laughs> but, I mean, name a different show, you know, at that time, whatever it was. There was appointments, right? Okay, 8 p.m. on Mondays, I go and watch this. Or 9 p.m. on Wednesdays, I go and watch this. I watched... Modern Family still. That's a show that I watch every week. I actually have no idea when that goes on the air. Modern Family? Modern Family. I have no idea, but I watch it when a new episode shows up on my Hulu. The only show I watch like that is Game of Thrones. That's, that's a great example of current appointment viewing. You have to watch that. Yeah. Because yeah. the spoilers, yeah. you don't want to spoil Game of Thrones. It's right. too good. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's a great example of that. But majority of entertainment today is on demand and people, a lot of people view it on demand. So the value of live entertainment is actually having a ton of people sitting, watching something at the same time. The advertising value goes up a lot. The messaging is super direct and you know, it's going to get people's attention. Yeah. It's the ability to pin down the exact time and place that these people are viewing and the duration for which they'll be viewing. Exactly. So, you know, even to an audience, though, live is valuable because it's unexpected. There's like so much drama and tension because you have no idea what's going to happen next. It's all unfolding in front of you. It's very exciting. But, you know, it's, it's really evolved over time. Even a week ago, when I saw something really interesting with live sports, NBA League Pass, an app, is... I think, you know, all sports are having a hard time keeping someone for two hours on a game or three hours on a game. But NBA League Pass, they sent out a push notification during the fourth quarter of a game saying, hey, pay 99 cents to watch the fourth quarter live through this, through your phone right now. Mm -hmm. That to me is, is really fascinating because you are pushing someone to live entertainment. Like that fourth quarter is really interesting when it's live. Like there's drama. You don't know who's going to win. It's happening in front of you. It's super engaging. But watching the whole game, you got to be like a, a super fan to be able to sit down and, and watch a whole game now, I think, with the amount of stimulation and, and watch it with undivided attention. Yeah, I'm curious how I would react to that, to a push notification from that. What I think all right, this is the ultimate sense of urgency. I have to tune in. I'm going to pay the 99 cents to watch the fourth quarter. Or would I think, oh, I'm actually on the move. I'm kind of busy right now. I'll wait 15 minutes, and then I can just watch the highlights on Twitter and Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would probably do the highlights. Yeah. Uh, there is a sense of, I don't want to miss out, and this is happening right yeah, now. Yeah, but it, I think it depends on what level of fan you are for exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. 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 
that that all depends on the level of fandom, I think. If I got a push notification and it said the OC reunion is coming back and you can only watch it right now and it's going to be five minutes of footage you've never seen before, I'd pay the 99 the, cents. Yeah, you'd have to do that. I'd have to see that right then and there. So today I think you know, what's representative of video on demand is Netflix, Hulu, you know, majority of YouTube, even Instagram, like somewhat, you know, you're, you can type something in and, and go see it. Yep. Um, but there is this whole new live contingent of platforms, right? I mean, there, there was live stream, but now there's like, we hear about a new one every day. The most prominent one is Twitch, uh, the Amazon owned live streaming platform. Um, but there's a lot of different opportunities to live stream yourself and live stream content today on the internet. And that just has to do with how far the technology has come. I mean, again, think about six years ago, we were traveling around with huge backpacks on that were combining cell data signals, right? And now Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, all of these platforms allow you to go live and the majority of them like straight from your phone. Yeah, the, the concept, if you told me like in 2012 that we could be sitting down and actually live streaming just straight from one cell phone, it's a crazy idea. But today it's just so embedded in our platforms. I think one of the most significant things to happen to live is sort of the democratization of live and the fact that we're like what we're talking about. It showed up on all these different platforms. But to take it a step further, Twitch specifically and YouTube a little bit, with gaming has found a very valuable form of live that can be made easily from your bedroom, right? Periscope and some of these other live options, in my opinion, were boring and didn't really, they didn't find an area where they had value to a large group of people. But gaming specifically, people playing video games and other people watching them play has found a big audience. Yeah, I mean... A, a huge audience. And it's something that I think a lot of people connect to playing video games and watching their friends play, or it kind of simulates like being in a room with a bunch of buddies playing video games. Yeah. At least from my experience, really the only stream I've watched a lot of was the Ninja Drake stream. That was the only one that I really sunk in. And I was like, let me try and understand why this is entertaining. Well, because you're a Drake fan, yes. right? And you want to see how Drake is going to react in real time. It was the most candid form of Drake. Exactly. I, I think anyone could have ever asked for. Because at some point, you know, he's streaming for like an hour, two hours. Like at some point, he just, his guard's down, right? He's playing video games. Yeah. Like his guard is down and you're getting this really authentic version of him. And again, with live, you have no idea what's going to happen next. Like, you don't know what he's going to say next. You don't know what's going to happen in the game next. It's just, you kind of have to be there. But I mean, isn't that interesting that Ninja is able to facilitate a really, really valuable piece of live entertainment that he's able to put together for extremely low cost? That's a totally new thing. Like, live, of course, the NBA sending you a push notification in the fourth quarter is exciting. That's valuable entertainment. It's super expensive to put that fourth quarter on. But what Ninja and Drake are doing, the logistics of it, like, aren't expensive, really. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's just this crazy entertainment value that can come at a low, low production cost. It's kind of like what YouTube did, you know, and pioneered with video on demand. Really high entertainment values, low production costs. 
if you're listening to this and you don't know who Ninja is, Ninja is a gamer on Twitch and YouTube. He's the most followed account on Twitch, and he plays video games live. For a living, yeah. He makes, living. I may be wrong here, I think he makes around $500,000 a month. A month, yeah. That's what he said on his interview uh, after the Drake stream. But yeah, one of the most successful Twitch streamers uh, and just gamers, I think, in general right now on the internet. And the way that works is people pay $5 a month. They donate specifically to him. That's yeah, what a subscription on Twitch means. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially what, like, a subscription on TV used to mean, right? I remember my mom always used to ask me when I was younger, like, do I still need to keep this subscription to ESPNU? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Mom, yes, I want to watch the games on ESPNU. Mom, sports. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the same kind of deal now. You're subscribing to the channels you want to subscribe to. And you don't have to subscribe to the others. So right now we're in the process of making a video of twi- about Twitch versus YouTube. So YouTube also offers live streaming. The only live streaming we've really ever done is on YouTube and a little bit on Instagram. But we're learning a lot about Twitch, especially what we just mentioned. The, there's a lot of revenue opportunities on Twitch that have emerged that we haven't really heard of or seen on YouTube but our eyes are being opened to this new wave of live content. I think since 2014, we've kind of been not really that engaged with live entertainment. We haven't put on much live entertainment. So learning back now, like learning about what everyone's doing with it, it's been really fascinating. And I'm curious to hear from you, like what is the most surprising thing that you've learned in the process of us making this video that you didn't know beforehand about live entertainment, or you think that is like, really representative of where live entertainment is today. The first thing that comes to mind is the integration with Amazon Prime into Twitch. So Twitch, like we mentioned, is owned by Amazon. What I did not understand is that if you are an Amazon Prime member, which I am and are you, Mm -hmm. so many people are Amazon Prime members. And if you are an Amazon Prime member, you get to choose one Twitch creator a month to subscribe to just embedded in the cost of your Amazon Prime membership. I didn't even realize that I could, if I wanted to, and I probably will, pick someone on Twitch to donate that $5 to and and subscribe to them. That, to me, was surprising. I didn't fully understand the advantages of the Amazon integration there or the Amazon ownership of Twitch, but that seems colossal. Yeah, that, that actually was really surprising to hear because Amazon's really encouraging the payment of their creators on Twitch, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're essentially financing that. I don't even know where you could make other parallels there because I guess the similar type of subscription platform on YouTube would be YouTube Red, but that hasn't been adopted by the masses the way that Amazon Prime has. Yeah, and it's not like you, when you sign up for YouTube Red, you're not like clicking on a specific creator and saying, yeah. okay, I signed up for YouTube Red, can you... I want to subscribe to this channel and that channel now gets paid because I subscribe to them. It's completely different on Twitch. It's also just incredible that embedded in the Twitch culture is this idea that you will pay for content, right? YouTube, it's just understood that you're going to watch advertising and that this is a essentially as a consumer and a viewer, it's a free platform for content. It doesn't cost you anything, but just having the internet to watch content. And just to be clear, Twitch like Colin mentioned, that you you pay for a subscription, you can donate to the creator, you pay for what's called super chat or, um, you know, different opportunities to communicate with the creator and communicate with super fans. And 
a lot of those opportunities and a lot of those features are available on YouTube as well for YouTube Live, but Twitch has really created the culture, the community, and really has put their foot down as like the live streaming platform right now. YouTube, however, has a lot of infrastructure, obviously. This, we're talking about you know Google versus Amazon now. This is like Goliaths going head-to-head in live entertainment, but YouTube's culture just isn't as transactional. You're not used to taking out your credit card for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if YouTube is able to, as they continue to roll out the ability for people to sponsor channels, will they be able to also shift the culture or at least find options to provide enough incentive for viewers to take action and and pay for content? I think they're trying so many different transactional modes right now. YouTube TV, right? 30, 35 or $40 a month now? It's $40 a month now. $40 a month. That's like trying to bring TV back and more live, you know, entertainment and live uh, opportunities. YouTube Red, which I don't know how much that is, $7.99, $9.99? Something like that. It's like ad-free. And then now you're trying, you know, try and bring in a sponsored channel. So they're trying to create that relationship now. Um, I don't, I've, I'm not really 100% clear how it's going, but I think, uh, you know, they're trying to take on a lot of different transactional opportunities for users. Um, and it's just not something we've been used to. Like as a consumer of YouTube, I, I don't think I ever thought I was going to take out my credit card for YouTube. I don't really plan on it. Yeah. I, don't, I think I've done it once to rent a movie. You can rent movies on YouTube. Yeah. I may But have done now it, but that I'm like Amazon, I'm Amazon prime and that's like, you can do whatever you want. You rent whatever movies you want. You can do whatever with Amazon prime. What has surprised you most about this resurgence of live? I used to lose a lot of sleep over how we were going to go live. Like the logistics behind going live were insane to me. I was so new to it and like all the different equipment we needed, all the like stress of, is this stream going to go down? Is it going to like work? That, that was, uh, that was really, really tough for me back then. And now it's like amazing to see how easy it is to go live. Um, but the second thing is like how much now, viewership there is for live especially not live sports so like the viewership for someone to go live and and play video games or or talk to the camera or um that that's pretty amazing for me because i i didn't know if viewership outside of live sports or live award shows would really be anything mm-hmm. but live sports live award shows those are those are big but the numbers that we're seeing recently on gaming those are like pretty serious numbers like what happened with with youtube recently um on one of their gaming streams and what happened with the ninja drake stream like those are pretty serious numbers so i think the numbers kind of surprised me as well when i go on the internet and i look for content i'm looking for something that's i'm really specifically searching like I'm, yeah i'm i type in something and i want to find it but this is really passive viewership like you're clicking on it and then you kind of sit back and you just let it unfold I think it's cool to think about in 2012 or whenever it was, there was premium broadcast. Even if it was streamed onto the internet, there was what we were doing, like premium high production sports games, right? There was some of that being streamed. And then on the other end of the spectrum online, there was just someone with a webcam talking, right? Those were kind of the two options for live entertainment on the internet back then. And I think now having made live accessible to tons of creators, you're seeing that 
the options for live programming are becoming so inventive and diverse. You were mentioning yesterday that there's a fashion influencer who goes shopping live. So she goes around and like picks clothing off the racks and shows it to her audience. And then if a member of her audience wants that exact piece of clothing, they will transact with her immediately in that moment. It goes into her bank account. She pays for Mm -hmm. the article of clothing and then ships it to her audience member that she's never met, doesn't know. What an interesting take on like the home shopping network. Yeah, the fascinating thing is if you really take a step back, most of the live entertainment is not that innovative in the content, Mm -hmm. but it's innovative in the use of uh, the platform. So what I mean by that is like she uses Instagram Live to do it. And that is like you just mentioned, it's the home shopping network. It's the same concept. Yeah. But she's using her cell phone and like her own platform, her own distribution, her own audience. It's pretty wild. That's a, that's a crazy use of live. I, I had, my mind was blown when I heard about that. Yeah, but even I was on Twitch the other day and there's a woman on Twitch who's a yoga instructor and she does live yoga multiple times a day and you can pay, right, to follow along. It's just really interesting. And then adding in HQ, I can't even imagine when they make that functionality accessible where you can interact like that live with the person who's streaming. Once that happens, I just can't even imagine the options for what we can do live. And I think at that point, it's going to be really tough for audiences to sit for an entire Major League Baseball game or the entirety of the Oscars without having an interactive element on their phone taking place. Because what if uh, every commercial break for the Oscars, there's sponsored trivia that's going straight to your phone? Or, yeah. and, and it's about the Oscars. It's about the last five winners, right? Like, so what happened on the show? What did Jennifer Lawrence wear when she walked on stage? So now it requires you to really be engaged with the program and then have opportunities to win prizes yeah. live, you know, at the breaks. What if during the Super Bowl, every time a Bud Light ad ran, they actually just asked a question, a trivia question, and you had to... Like download and, a Bud Light trivia app. Yeah, to have an app, yeah, and put the answer in. And, and they, they took out four ads across the entirety of the night. And at the end, you could win 100 grand. Mm-hmm. So the story is that you're watching the game, but you're also, there's an opportunity here for everyone watching to win $100,000. I feel like what we saw with HQ yesterday with the $250,000 game and the integration with Ready Player One, I think by Super Bowl next year, we have to see something integrated like that yeah i would hq trivia super bowl edition is too good like someone's gonna buy into that i just think that it's not even gonna be hq branded i think by the time we get around to the next super bowl everyone's gonna have access to create that type of experience i just think it's more lucrative down the line like hq can always exist but what if there is the ability for everyone to have the opportunity to do their own quiz games put their own prizes up do their own brand integrations, and then someone obviously takes a cut. Whoever the whoever distributes that tool to everyone takes a cut of the prizes that are yeah. taking place, and then serves ads on top of that, and can run instead of just like like HQ captures a very specific group of people. Like two point three million people seems extremely large, but that is actually a niche group of people who are interested in playing a game show like this on their phones, who are aware of it. Wait till 
there are a million HQs that are extremely niche, right? And there's an HQ for every type of topic that you're interested in. So it captures a large web. And then whoever controls that web can run ads and integrations across all of those HQ style games in one night. I just think the potential for it is so huge. Yeah, it really is. I, I wonder if Facebook or Instagram would integrate it into their live feature. I feel like, because I feel like when Facebook likes a feature or sees opportunity in a feature, they're like, okay, yeah, if you run an Instagram live, you actually can yep. do polls or questions and people can respond. That and was the first thing I thought. Yeah, because if big influencers started doing it, I guess it would be really, really challenging to, there must be rules and regulations around, I mean, there are around yeah. the contest. I guess if there was, I don't know, I guess you could just do whatever you want. Because right. I just remember, you know, running, running contests on social, there's like a lot of rules and regulations. If you yeah, get involved, but like at the they just levels. give you the tool. It's the same yeah. thing as YouTube giving right. you the tool to upload a video. And then once you upload a song that you're not allowed to, they just, YouTube says, hands off. This yeah. is on you. This is not on us. It was in our terms of service. Like, yeah, that's true. So another big live event that's coming up. And this is something really interesting that's happening on YouTube. And really, I think what started our whole interest in Twitch versus YouTube is Logan Paul and KSI boxing. So these are two massive YouTube creators. Logan Paul has 16 million subscribers and KSI has 18 million subscribers on YouTube. So this is big, big YouTubers. This is not the first boxing match that's happening on YouTube. KSI fought another YouTuber, Joe Weller, live on YouTube on Super Bowl Sunday or Super Bowl Saturday during Super Bowl weekend. And the numbers were very serious. So it was, I think it was a million concurrence. 1.1. One, I think 1.1 million people watching at the same time, watching these guys box. And then after the fact, over 24 million people had watched the fight like yeah. the day after. Yeah. So this was pretty eye opening. Not only did 24 million people watch them fight each other within a 24 hour period, but they also sold out an arena of 7,500 people, which is substantial. A lot of sports leagues don't hit those numbers. Like no, a 70, lot of live events don't hit those numbers. 7,500 people buying tickets and sitting in an arena is super significant. So that's like the live entertainment, like these big YouTubers who are now taking a look and saying, okay, we dominate in, you know, on-demand video, right? We can put a video up and it gets 2 million views and it can live on YouTube for, you know, five years and continue getting views. Can we also do live entertainment? Yes, definitely. I also just can't believe that everything is coming down to this rawest form of solving conflict, of just fighting. Like, is this where it's at now that if anyone doesn't get along, you can just be like, you know what? Why don't you two fight? Let's hype this up, and let's all make a lot of money off this. Part of me thinks that we've always been there. I guess so. Like, gladiator. Like, just we've all... We've always enjoyed fighting as entertainment. It's always been entertainment. Yeah. Since, I mean, I don't... Since the history books show, like, it's just always been entertainment. Fighting has always been entertainment. And boxing is big form of live entertainment on television. Yeah. It's a big moneymaker when it comes to pay-per-view and, and rights. It's just a big, big moneymaker when it comes to live events. 
So the fact that YouTubers are getting into putting on their own boxing events that come with content before the fight, that come with promos, months that come of with content that you can follow, of storytelling that come with huge audiences, 16 million subscribers and 18 million subscribers, and now they're going to fight live. And what sparked this entire conversation was, where is this live fight going to exist? So the last fight took place on YouTube. But what's interesting, since that fight, Logan Paul has come under a lot of controversy when he uploaded a video that was not suitable for advertisers, was really not suitable for... I, I can't imagine who... No one. There's no one. It was not No excuse for, for the video that he uploaded. But since then, he's taken off of uh, Google Preferred which is a premium sales grouping of channels for YouTubers. And basically, it just doesn't seem to be in YouTube's best interest to have Logan Paul fighting live in an uncontrolled situation, getting a lot of attention on their channel. At the same time, YouTube does want massive live streams on their platform as they're up against Twitch right now. What really sparked the thought for me was, honestly, was pay-per-view. When I saw that mm. 1.1 million people watched this thing live and there was no pay-per-view, it's like, yeah. man, I, like, I will pay to watch this fight. I'm not a huge Logan Paul fan. I really don't fully know who KSI is until this fight happened. But no matter what, if they charge me for this fight, I got to watch it. And it goes back to what we were saying, too. It, you know, Paying for content is part of the fabric of Twitch. It's, it's one, they're able to carry it out from uh, a technical standpoint. It's really something that's dialed on Twitch, live streaming and the payment aspect of it. But two, culturally, for that community, and, and maybe that community doesn't care too much. I would think they would because KSI is a gamer, right? Um, but just paying for content in general is part of that community. So it seems like that fight would be more well-suited to take place on Twitch. Yeah, imagine a custom Twitch channel you have to subscribe prior to the fight to be able to watch it live. Once it's live, you can also maybe pay extra for like super chat or maybe exclusive access to something. Mm -hmm. The monetization is, it just feels like it's massive for that live event, especially I think they're, they're doing it in much bigger arenas, arenas that seat 25,000 people. Yeah. And the reason I said arenas is they both openly talked about the fact that it's a two fight deal. Um, and that they'll be fighting once in the U.S. and uh, once in the U.K. So it just feels like we're going to see something that's pretty revolutionary. After we started talking about this, Logan also recently started his own Twitch channel. So there's a lot of different things that are happening. And Logan was able to bring over on, on within the first hour or two hours over 200,000 followers on Twitch. And that is it's pretty significant, his influence on where he can push people and what he can have them do. So the fact that he could say, Hey, subscribe to this channel. It's five ninety nine, And that's where you're going to see my fight. I think in an instant, a quarter of a million people would do that. In my opinion, it seems worth it for Amazon to pay for this fight to take place exclusively on Twitch. It'd be a lot of exposure for Twitch. But the real question is the one thing that I was surprised when we talked to a creator, Sam Sheffer yesterday was he talked about Twitch being super anti 
violence. Yeah, that is true. It's in their terms of service. It's not. It's in YouTube's yeah. terms of service too, right? And yeah. like boxing exists on YouTube. They're anti-violence, but at the same time, one of their biggest games, Fortnite, right now that takes place right. on Twitch and also takes place on YouTube, but that's true. Uh, is just it's just violence. Yeah, I I feel like we're at a really interesting point because if this was HBO or Showtime, it'd be like not even a question they would pay for the rights for this fight. And if it's, you know, Mayweather McGregor, of course, like you're going to you're paying for the rights for the fight. But when it's Logan Paul KSI and they have all the infrastructure to put it on themselves, they actually don't need anyone to buy rights. And the platforms like they're going to put it on one of the platforms. The only reason to purchase the rights was to be buy like exclusivity or ensure that you could promote it for exposure. And I feel like YouTube might not want that exposure or need really need that exposure but Twitch might? Well, yeah, if you look at some of the biggest vloggers on YouTube or some of the biggest channels, I mean, PewDiePie, the biggest channel on YouTube, has 60 million-plus subscribers. You look at the biggest Twitch gamer, Ninja, he has just below 500,000, right? That's a pretty big disparity, and Logan Paul has, like you said, 18 million? 16. 16 million? So, yeah, maybe if you could pay for exclusivity and bring some of that audience over to Twitch and all of a sudden sign up new people and bring new people to the platform, maybe it is valuable enough to make it exclusive. And there was a couple videos and articles about the fact that Logan Paul started a Twitch saying that, you know, the thought was, man, the Twitch community is not going to be happy about this, right? Twitch users aren't going to be happy that Logan Paul is now on Twitch. But there was actually a lot of positive sentiment around it because he's bringing a ton of YouTube subscribers and YouTube audience members who might not have known about Twitch or even thought about going on Twitch and checking out content. And now that they're on Twitch, they're going to look around and maybe they might like stuff and then the Twitch audience grows. So yeah, it, it might be valuable. I think the best point that I've heard about this argument from you was about Amazon and Twitch and the concept that they're two separate brands, whereas YouTube and YouTube gaming or YouTube live, it's all still YouTube, which is, you know, all still. Yeah. YouTube has some issues right now with its brand and its relationship to advertisers who are concerned that their content, if they put it on YouTube, is going to run against and next to offensive content. Right, And some of that stems directly from the video that Logan Paul put up, that Logan Paul had a video up that was not suitable for advertisers and it stayed up for way too long and some brands had the misfortune of having their content before that piece, uh, you know, that video. So, yeah, I think one of the best things that Amazon has going for it is that they've separated the brands and Twitch is a separate brand from Amazon. I even think, like, when these companies were fighting for the rights to Thursday night football. You know, the NFL might be concerned that they're putting their premium product next to potentially offensive content on YouTube because YouTube has shown that they have a problem regulating that content. But Amazon has a great brand. They can put it on Amazon and they could put the NFL on Amazon and feel safe about that, which they did do. Amazon bought the rights for Thursday night football. And then everything that happens on Twitch, things like the Logan Paul fight, th- that, that can be on Twitch, and it's totally separate. There's no 
real threat there to having those two pieces of content interact with each other. So that, that's a really interesting, that to me, I thought was the most interesting point about it. And I, I'm really curious to see if that actually happens. If Amazon buys the rights or if Twitch announces that the fight will be on Twitch. When we were talking to Sam Sheffer yesterday, he said, why not simulcast it? And I think that's an, kind of an interesting concept to think about. Or maybe there's exclusive content on Twitch beforehand and then you simulcast the fight. I mean, just like there's so much distribution in that live event. Um, it speaks to live sports, mixes with influencers, mixes with so much drama prior leading up to it. And then the tension of like, who's going to win? Like, I, who's going to win? Like, it's crazy. Like, you have a huge fan base on one side and a huge fan base on the other side. It's, I think it's unlike any other live event on the Internet to date. And then you have the understanding that these guys are both going to make a video directly after, and it's going to go up the next day, no matter what. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, after Mayweather-McGregor, we didn't hear from McGregor for weeks. Yeah. So it's completely different. So I think one of my questions for you then is, I'm really interested to talk quickly about passive live viewership. So what I mean by that is, you know, when, when we were younger and still some like, like Super Bowl, right? It's fairly passive viewership. You put it on and it's on for the next three hours and you sit and you watch it. I found during the Oscars, when I watched three or four hours of the Oscars, I was so understimulated. Um, I remember you, I used to be able to sit and watch the Oscars and that was it. That was my entertainment for those three hours. But I require a phone in my hand. I require other stimulation. Um, and Twitch, you know, is kind of the same thing. Like the, the value is in the super chat, right? The value is in chatting and mm-hmm. engaging. Um, you know, when it comes to Instagram live, there's value in that as well. HQ trivia, it's incredibly engaging. You're actually interacting with the live content with all this stimulation in content. Is there ever going to be a point where we're back to that of just turning something on and it goes for two hours and you sit? To just passive live consumption? Yeah. I can't imagine there's a time when we would just go to having one screen in front of us and just sitting. It's tough when we go to the movies. Oh, yeah. Right? We, we saw, just went to the movies. We saw Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson film. It was, it was kind of difficult, even though it's a good movie, to sit for two hours, right? And like not be able to get a snack, not be able to check your phone, not be able to just walk around, not be able to do whatever you want. So That's I don't true. think passive live consumption is coming back. I can't imagine. It's just so much more enjoyable to be able to interact, right? There's not as much value to passive live consumption. If you're watching something live and you're able to interact and create connections in the super chat or whatever it is, or feel the suspense of answering a question and seeing if you got it right or wrong, like HQ trivia, that's where the value is for the the audience. It's not necessarily, you know, Scott Rogowski is really funny on HQ trivia and he's great. But the real value comes from having that experience Scott's on the other side. Scott is a star. Scott's I, I a would, star. I would say nothing but. Yeah. But the value comes from the experience that happens on the other side, right? The room of people who are excited, saying what they think the right answer is. There's a total community element to it. Even now, like if I'm watching something live, I was watching the Oscars live and I tweeted about it. And then you look at the Oscars hashtag and you're like, man, we're all in this together. We're all seeing this unfold mm-hmm. together. So there's... 
the communal aspect of watching live, which is not dissimilar to what it used to be pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram. But today, now you can actually see the physical embodiment of the whole world doing the same thing as you. And that is a very exciting experience. So I think it brings me to like the future of live. You touched on it a little bit with HQ Trivia and the concept that maybe people will get access to those kind of features. But what are the things we're going to see in, in live entertainment in the next you know, year and then beyond what happens with live entertainment? Man, I think in the future, like I said, I think interactive tools are going to be everywhere in live, whether you're watching the Oscars or you're watching something directly on your phone and taking actions like an HQ trivia. I just think the ability to have an impact in what you're watching live is going to continue to get crazier and crazier and crazier. I'm really curious about if there's going to be a lot of immersive content that's live. Like in 10 years, are we just going to go home, get in a pod and like put on some goggles and just be in a live action experience um, where like we're affecting, it's, you know, the, we're affecting the environment. We're, you know, creating the entertainment in an immersive environment, like VR, essentially. I think if people are able to make it feel social enough, right, and to have the rewards of the things that come in real life, social interactions, if you're able to get into a pod, put a headset on, and talk with other people and create connections, then, yeah, maybe we, we will see that happen. I heard there's a uh, Black Mirror episode about that. That's why I thought of it today, about it. some sort of like live VR experience. Where do you see yourself going? Like, where, where does your interest lie in live? I still love live sports. I still consume live sports. And I, I can still, like, I can watch a lacrosse game start to finish. And I, I need my phone. I need other stimulation uh, to enjoy it thoroughly. I still can't believe how long commercial breaks are. But I, like, I still enjoy watching live sports. So... I, I think HQ Trivia has changed my entire thinking around live, my entire you know, experience around live entertainment. I love that it's in short bits. I can handle live entertainment in 20 to 30 minute bits. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And when I'm a part of it and I can actually, the feeling when you get a question right that you didn't think where you were gonna get right, the feeling when you see how many people got it wrong, the feeling when Scott calls out something that just happened, it's, it's unparalleled right now in live entertainment. What about as a content creator, though, as someone who would make their own live entertainment? What interests you? I'd love to do this live. I'd love to podcast live. I, I would love to have something happen where there's a community of people doing present at the same time that we're creating so that they can have an impact, an impact on the creation. That is always interesting. It's what we did with live when we were doing TLN and doing live lacrosse games where you could, you know, do Q and a with the announcers at halftime, the fact that you can be sitting at home and have an impact on what's happening in the content is, is amazing. I mean, imagine when you're a kid watching, you know, sports center and being able to say something and have that broadcaster say your name. Yep. That's like the craziest concept and say something that you just said, a question you just asked that, that to me still is amazing. So I think, I think that's where I see my interest going in the future. 
is doing more of this live and then maybe picking up Fortnite and <laughs> becoming a Twitch streamer. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Colin and Samir podcast. Make sure to check out our YouTube video. It's called A Crash Course in Twitch. You can find that on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Colin and Samir. We want this podcast to be conversational. So if you want to tweet at us at Colin and Samir, let us know your thoughts on live entertainment. Tell us what you think about YouTube versus Twitch, HQ trivia. We're really curious about live and where it's headed. If you have thoughts on it, make sure to tweet them at us. You can also email us, Colin and Samir at gmail.com. Lastly, if you've been enjoying the show, make sure to rate and review the podcast. Share the podcast with a friend. We would really appreciate that. All right, make sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.